0: Children, if you haven't left already, you may go to Children's Church. We're so glad that uh, you're here. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that worshipful song and reminding us that the Lord is faithful. I grew up in a small Baptist church, and Mother's Day was quite interesting You know, you, if you're a boy, you had to wear a jacket, you had to have a tie, you had to polish your shoes, all the moms came with these corsage things all pinned to their dresses, some of them had the hats on, a couple even had the gloves on. And you'd come and you'd sit in this little Baptist church. Now, it's in California, and the part of California we lived in was over 90 to 100 degrees. And instead of air conditioning, we did swamp cooling. Swamp cooling means that they take air, they put water in it, and then blow it on you. Instant humidity, because that, of course, will make you cool. So everyone has their bulletin out. Some of the women have their fans out. And they're, they're fanning away. And everyone is dressed to the, to the gills because it's Mom's Day. And what Mom says goes. And so we're all sitting there in church. And then the mom contests come. I used to call it the Battle of the Moms. And the mom contest went something like this. All right, now who's the oldest mom here? If you're if you're less than ninety-five, please don't stand because uh we know that grandma Hughes is here and we know you're you're 96, right, dear? Yes. Okay. So if you're less than 96, don't uh it's yours again this year, Grandma Hughes. And you know, there's a couple women going, I wish you'd die so I could get that award. You know? But oh, grandma Hughes every year. And then all right, if you have the most kids. Now, again, being a small Baptist church, everyone's going, is Shirley Rowell here? Is Shirley? She's got six kids. Is Shirley here? Oh, Shirley's here. Okay, we didn't win this year. You know, and except for that year that family moved in that had seven kids, and, and they they got the title that year. And, 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 you know, who's the newest mom? What mom has the most kids here in the service? Uh, who has... Whose kids came the farthest to prove they loved their mom the most? You know, and we'd go through all these things. That was what moms did. And then the pastor would give a, a sermon on the virtue of moms, and then dad would take us home. We couldn't really afford to eat out a lot, so we didn't go to out, out to eat, so we'd come home. And if he could put it on the barbecue, that's what we had. So he would barbecue a Santa Maria tri-tip, and he would barbecue corn on the cob, and he would wrap bread in, in foil and put it on there, and then he would run in the house and open up a can of green beans and dump it in the, in the pot. That was mom's day, you know, that was the way it was. I don't know what your memories are. I don't know what they are, but I do want to say, moms, we salute you today. We value you, and moms, I, I just want to thank you for all you do to be moms. And I sure hope your family treats you well today and enjoys you. But have you ever wondered where Mother's Day comes from? Her name's Anna Jarvis. And in 1905, Anna's mom died. And she loved her mom so much that she decided there needed to be a day, not for all moms, but a day for you and your mom. And so she worked, and in 1908, they had the first service in West Virginia, right, Heather? And there's a church there today that has a shrine, because it was the very first church they had Mother's Day in, and they got the governor to make it a decree that it's Mother's Day. And she began to work to make it it a, a national thing. In fact, she got it to go to the Congress in 1908, and they voted it down because they were afraid they were going to have to pass a second law that we have mother-in-law's day. <laughs> That's a true story. And so so but she worked on it and it just caught caught on. And Anna saw more and more cities, more and more states jump on board and she was excited until 1918-1920 because Hallmark entered the picture. She wasn't happy when she saw Hallmark mother's cards. Because in her mind, you made it yourself. In her mind, it was the day of spending it one-on-one. And so she began to fight Hallmark. And then she found out all these chocolate makers were making chocolate things to give to mom and they were making a lot of money of it and she didn't make any money off Mother's Day because she didn't believe in it. And so she, she got arrested uh, disrupting a chocolate convention <laughs> in 1925. She said, they're getting away from what my heart was for Mother's Day. And so when she died at the age of 84, never being a mother herself, never being a mother, she was actually fighting against Mother's Day. She actually went against um, Mrs. Roosevelt because she started trying to raise money on Mother's Day. And she said, that's not what it's about. So she even took on Eleanor Roosevelt. But think about her impact. One woman here we are over a hundred years later, still celebrating the day she started. What an amazing impact that woman had on her society. What an amazing impact she had on our world. We do things today. We wear the ties that mom gives us. We might wear a suit coat today because mom told us to. Because we want to celebrate Mother's Day. Wow, what an impact. I began to think, what kind of woman does God use to make an impact on her world? What kind of woman does God use to impact her world? What are the characteristics? Now, I want to take you into my office because the people who we talk about today, I I want to make them come alive to you. The first one is a woman by the name of Anna. And you're going to find her in Luke chapter 2, verse 36. Luke chapter 2, verses 36. And Anna was a prophetess. She was advanced in years. The Bible says she was 84 years old. Her husband died seven years after they were married, so she's been a widow ever since. And she just stays at the temple worshiping and fasting and praying. She's 84. If you were to walk up to her you'd, and you could see underneath her, her robe, you'd see that her knees are calloused. Her hands don't work so good anymore. She's also very much a, a rail, there's not much to her because of her praying and fasting. But she's a fixture at the temple. She's the woman you go to. If you are desperate, you go to Anna because Anna's the one who knows how to pray. You go to Anna because if you go to Anna, your prayers will be heard by God because she is a woman who knows the heart of God. This is Anna. And there's two characteristics I want you to see. At 84, she could have been, I've seen it all but she wasn't that kind of woman. The first characteristic is she's looking for God at work. The woman you, that's used by God is the woman who is looking for God at work. She sees the baby. She's seen thousands of babies. But something in her heart, something in her spirit says, this is the one, and she sees Jesus. Secondly, the second characteristic of the woman God uses is that she is spiritually discerning. Because she knows exactly who He is and she begins telling. 33 years before the cross, she sees and says, this is the one. This is the one. This is the one who will bring redemption to Jerusalem. This is the one. She knows how to listen to God. She's spiritually discerning. She proclaims Jesus Christ long before his work begins. In the days of old, there was a thing called the telegraph. It was before the telephone. And they would take and tick, 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 Some of you watched those old Westerns, you know, and you've seen them, you know, the telegraph office, tick, 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 tick. Well, an office decided to advertise for help. And they said, show up at our office at this time. And there was probably 10 young men sitting there waiting for their chance to be interviewed, to become a telegraph officer and and in the background you could just hear tick tick, tick 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 and one man without saying a word got up and walked into the boss's office that man was in there for a few minutes and then the boss came out and he opened the door he goes thank you for coming the position has been filled and they go whoa 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 hold it Hold it. You didn't give us a chance. You didn't allow us a chance. This isn't fair. And the guy says, I want you to stop. And I want you to start listening to the tick, tick, ticks. And they started listening to the tick, 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 tick. And every man bowed his head and just walked out silently. What was it? Well, they were typing out this. If you understand my message, come into the office. If you understand this message, come into the office. She understood God's telegraph. She had a spiritual discernment about her that would allow her to go, This one's from you, isn't it, Father? This one's from you. She leads us to a second woman. This woman doesn't even have a name. She's still here in the book of Luke, but you're going to turn over to chapter 7, starting in verse 36. We, we find her story, and it's a very interesting thing. It only says this about her. It doesn't give us her name. It just says, she is a sinner. That's it. The woman who is a sinner. But she breaks up a party at the Pharisee's house. She rushes in. She's weeping. She's washing the dirt off Jesus' feet with her tears. She dries it with her hair. She anoints his feet with perfume. She she begins to just wipe it. And she takes ointment out. And she starts soothingly wiping it into Jesus' feet. And the Pharisee. Stands back and goes, if he is really God, if he's really a prophet, he should know who's touching him, and he should be ashamed of who's touching him. And Jesus reads his mind. Notice what Jesus says about verse forty-four. Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and washed my feet with her hair. You gave me no kiss, which is what the custom was when you had a guest come in your house. You would wash their feet and you would give them a kiss on the cheek. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Now, your Bible says, for she has loved much. That word for can also be because. Because, going back to forgiven. Because she is forgiven, she's able to love me much. This leads us to the third characteristic. You see, the third characteristic flows out of the fact that the woman God uses is a woman who's been broken by the realization of her sin, but rejoices because she has taken her sins to Jesus and is forgiven. We need to be broken by our sins. We need then to find the joy Overflowing joy in the forgiveness of our Lord, and we will then love Him so much. The woman that God uses is broken by her sin, but rejoices in her forgiveness and loves her Lord. There's a story that comes out of the Civil War Abraham Lincoln. A woman came into his office, she pled for her son's life, for her son was destined to die. And Lincoln, having pity on her, said, Yes, I will I will pardon your son. When she left, they asked this this reporter asked her a question. Hey, a lot of people call him the ugly ape. A lot of people think he's an ugly man. What do you think? And he looked at she looked at the reporter and said, He is the most handsome man I've ever met. And because he has pardoned my son, I will love him forever. She understood the gravity of her son's sin. And when he was forgiven, she fell in love with the man who forgave her son. When we understand the enormity of our sin and are forgiven, we fall in love with the one who forgave us. And that leads us to another woman. This woman is unknown in Matthew. This woman is unknown in, in Luke. But John tells us who she is. It's found in John chapter 12. Her name is Mary. She has a sister named Martha. She has a brother named Lazarus. And they're having a dinner party. And so Martha's there doing the work. Uh, Lazarus talking with Jesus. And Mary comes in. And we find here in chapter 12 that Mary rushes in. It's six days before Jesus is to die. And she takes this perfumed, this, this perfumed ointment. It's worth a year's wages. So take what you make a year. That's what it's worth. And she begins to break it open, and then she starts to pour it on Jesus' feet. She begins to anoint Jesus' hair with this oil. And oh, there's a disciple who speaks up. We don't hear much from this disciple, but we hear about him now. His name is Judas. And Judas says, oh, 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 time out, Mary. What do you think you're doing? We could have sold that and helped the poor. Except, John adds a little behind the scenes. John says he doesn't care about the poor. He just wants to find a way to steal it for himself. He doesn't care. But look at her heart. Look at her heart. The woman God uses is a woman who worships her Lord with reckless, passionate abandonment. Even in the face of the objections and dispersions that others may give her, she has focused her attention on worshiping her God and nothing, nothing, nothing will keep her from achieving her goal. Nothing. She's resisting An apostle, a disciple, she's still going to worship God even though this disciple says, no way. Notice it's costly. It's probably her retirement account. Her dowry. The money that has been given to her so that if anything ever happens to those who would take care of her, she would have the money to take care of herself. With a year's wages, she could probably eat for two or three years. But we see that neither Lazarus nor Martha speaks up. So it's hers personally. It's hers to do with as she pleases. But it is personally costly for her. And yet, because she's pursuing her God with a reckless, abandoned, a passionate, Worship, she anoints him and loves him. You see, friends, true worship costs us. True worship costs my heart, my, abj- my, my affections. The next woman that God uses is found in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Her name is Priscilla. Priscilla's hands are calloused. She's a tent maker. She's been pushing pins through this thick cloth for years. She and her husband Aquila meet this rabbi named Paul. He's hungry. He needs a job. He knows how to make tents. so They bring him in, and together they work together. And Paul is so impressed with Priscilla and Aquila that he invites them to go to a church plant. He invites them to Ephesus. He knows what they have is what they need. And you'll notice in the Bible something that almost always says Priscilla and Aquila. That's strange. Most of the time, the custom of those days was to put the man first. But many scholars believe the reason why they put Priscilla first, and here's the next statement, is that she was a woman of the Word. The woman God uses is a woman of the Word. A woman who the Word of God dwells. And in fact, many believe she was a better scholar than Aquila. In fact, there are some scholars out there who believe that she may have been the one God used to pen the book of Hebrews. We don't know. But she was a woman of the word. We get to the end of chapter 18, and there's a young man by the name of Apollos. He's a powerful preacher. And when he teaches whatever he teaches on, everyone listens. But during his teaching, Priscilla elbows Aquila. Says he's close, but no cigar. He's missing a little bit. What is he missing? Well, he doesn't have it. He has it through John, but he doesn't have it through the whole story of Jesus. And so they take him alongside and they come and talk to him. And it says they taught him the way more fully. You see, the second characteristic she has of a woman that God uses is she's a woman who invests in others. She poured herself into Apollos so he may know the truth. We need women here at BFC who know and live God's word. We need women who come alongside others and point them to Jesus. And this leads us to our our final woman this morning we find her back in the book of John chapter 19 verse 25 near the cross of Jesus stood his mother Jesus is beaten Jesus has been whipped within an inch of his life. Jesus has been spit upon. He was mocked. And people gambled to see who would get his clothes. The cross was a gruesome place where the lowest of the low were killed. And yet, here hung Jesus, and there, standing by the cross, was his mother. She was courageously loyal to Jesus throughout his death. She could have run away like most of his disciples, but she didn't. She could have pled for her son's life, but she didn't. She allowed him to save her. Mary could have done so many things different. But in the end, she was courageously loyal to her son and stood by him. I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was born of a promise to a virgin named Mary. And I believe that Mary, though she didn't fully understand everything, stood by her Savior and her Son. You see, that crowd was in a frenzy. They could have killed her. They could have turned on her. She suffers as she watches her son suffer. But she is fiercely loyal and courageously loyal to her Savior. So is Rachel. Here's what Rachel wrote in her high school journal. I've lost all my friends at school. Now that I've begun to walk my talk, they make fun of me. I'm not going to apologize for speaking the name of Jesus. I will take it. If my friends have to become my enemies for me, so be it. If that's what it takes for me to be best friends with Jesus, that's fine with me. I'm not going to hide the light that God has put into me. If I have to sacrifice everything, I will. And that came to fruition on April 20th, 1999. Two teenage boys entered their high school with their guns and their bombs. And the first student they ta- stopped at that day was Rachel Scott. The killers knew Rachel. In fact, a few days before, in her diary, she had prayed for one of the young men, one of the young men that would take her life. As they came up to her after shooting her once or twice, they mocked her saying, do you still believe in your God? And she looked at them and said, you know that I do. And with that, they took her life. You see, this woman stood courageously loyal to her God. Ladies, our church, our community needs women who are devoted to their God. Who with their spiritual discernment are looking for where God is working and pointing others to Him. We need women who are broken by their sin but are flowing with love because they know they're forgiven. We need women who worship their God with reckless, passionate abandon. We need women who know God's word and are investing in others. We need women of God who are courageously loyal to Him. So ladies, will you invest in each other? Will you pray for each other? Will you encourage each other to pursue being the woman God wants to use? Not that you will have all those characteristics in place, but that you'll be in process. And men. You may notice that every challenge I gave the ladies fits us as well. We need to grow in these areas, but I want to ask something more of you today. I want you to right now think of the women in your life. They may be two, they may be 92. They may be a sister, they may be a mother, they may be a daughter, they may be a grandmother, they may be a granddaughter, they may just simply be a friend. But I'm going to ask you to do something for them. I'm going to ask you, number one, to pray for them. Oh, not just God bless them, but really pray for them. Ask them, what do you need me to pray for in your life? How many of you guys who are under 18 have a sister in your life? Any of you? I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You need to go home today, and you need to look at your sister, and you need to say, hey, sis, I want to pray for you today. How can I pray for you? It's going to blow her mind. She's going to say, what, an alien took over your body? What's going on? But I want you to do that. Fathers, I want you to go to your daughters and say, how can I pray for you? Husbands, go to your wives and say, how can I pray for you? Children, ask your moms how you can pray for them. And I want you, secondly, as men, to create an atmosphere in your home, atmosphere in the lives of the ladies you love that will help them thrive in the things of God. Encourage them in the faith. Kids, ask your grandparents, hey, Grandma, what is God teaching you? Create time for her to be alone. This one is another mind-blower, kids. If you'll do this, your mom will be laying on the floor. After dinner, say this, hey, Mom. Why don't you go upstairs and spend some time in prayer and worship, and we'll clean up the kitchen and take care of the dishes and do everything. We're going to give you extra 15 minutes so you can be alone with God. She'll hit the ground the first time. I guarantee it. But when she gets up, she's going to say, My family cares that I am a pursuer of God. Would you do that today? Lovingly encourage the ladies in your life. And finally, I opened with a story about Anna at Jarvis. Her idea was Mother's Day was simplicity and time. Give the simple gift, but give it, more importantly, the investment of yourself today and your mothers and your grandmothers. So friends, I'd encourage you to do that today. Encourage you to invest in the people you love. I ask that the worship team come for our closing song. And let me pray.